This is Modern Woman. Find us at modernwoman.co for further info. Good evening, it's Thursday the 7th of May 2020. Welcome to Modern Woman's Chat Show. We're a brand to educate, motivate and support women in business and the workplace. I'm Rosie Cockshaw and I'll be your host for this next hour ahead as we discuss how we've been adapting to the changes around us these past few months, the habits that have arose from this, such as drinking from home, plus the economic recovery on businesses and livelihoods as we start to come out of lockdown. Firstly, thank you to those who are listening. It's a real pleasure to be here with you and I hope you're keeping safe and well. For further information on Modern Woman and for more podcasts like this, please visit modernwoman.co. So this leads us on to our first conversation. A lot of us are probably questioning what life will be like after coronavirus. And more importantly, what is going to happen to our economy? Not just in the UK, but on a global level. We're now joined by Campbell Harvey. He's a professor of finance at Duke University in the US and a Canadian economist. From his in-depth research, he starts by sharing with us why this forecasted recession will be completely different to the 2008 financial crisis. This particular recession is basically the type of recession where the uncertainty is being resolved every day as we get closer to a biological solution. That means that governments can hit it hard because they don't need uh, any dry powder in the future. And it's also psychologically really important that people see that there's an end. There is an end for this one. And uh, it means that, in my opinion, we'll start seeing growth uh, in the fourth quarter of 2020. And this will be over by the first quarter of 21. Okay, the fourth quarter of 21, you say? The fourth quarter of 2020 this year. Mm. And uh, we'll start seeing growth. And then the first quarter of 21, um, we'll be out of this, in my opinion. And what is that? Do, is that down to the fact that you think they'll find a vaccine by then? Or do you think that's because people look at different ways of how they can construct and um, run their businesses? Yeah. So, so again, this is, this is complicated. And my forecast is just a forecast. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't consider myself optimistic or pessimistic. Uh, this is just... Uh, my forecast. There are a lot of things that could complicate uh, that forecast. So people talk about a V-shaped recovery, and I don't believe that's the case. Uh, People also talk about an L-shaped recovery, which basically means a lost decade. So it takes so long to recover that we're damaged uh, for potentially a decade. I'm more on the side of a U-shaped and a skinny U-shaped. So this recession is uh, potentially less than a year in length. But there are many factors that could complicate uh, that forecast. So one factor is our governments are basically trying to keep some firms in stasis so that they can reawaken and go back to their work as usual. Um, Governments are also trying to protect some high-quality firms in particular, small businesses. So this is another difference between this episode and the global financial crisis. Global financial crisis, these mega firms were impacted. In the United States, the focus was on 25 banks. And you can literally call the CEOs into a room and hand them bailout checks. Mm-hmm. So in the United States, there are 30.2 million 
small and medium-sized businesses. It's just not feasible. So logistically, it's much more challenging. But the key thing is to avoid uh, what we call structural damage to the economy. And that means the if we have small many small and medium-sized firms that are really important for employment. Half of employment is from small and medium-sized firms. If some high-quality firms go under, then that will decrease growth in the future. That's what I mean by the structural damage. We will see bankruptcies, and we've already seen some bankruptcies, but if you look at some of these firms, they were already in pretty tough shape before uh, mm-hmm. the pandemic. So it just basically accelerated uh, their decline. But we need to basically have policies to avoid the situation where high quality firms uh, go under mm-hmm. and people that were furloughed can't go back to their job. In the global financial crisis, if your bank went under, um, there was no going back to a job at that bank because they were gone. They were bankrupt. Yeah. Whereas today, um, many people that have been furloughed fully expect to go back to their job. Mm. So I want to ask you, uh, goes into my next question about governments are trying to support the country's economy. Um, and I know here in the UK, we have so many schemes to keep us going um, and technically bail us out, uh, whether it be businesses, employees, homeowners. Um, this can't keep happening. You know, the, the country is already in a severe amount of debt. Um, what will happen when this stops? We've been told furlough technically means you've got your job. But will that be the case when the, the government stop bailing us out? So there's many dimensions uh, to your excellent question. So one is kind of hindsight. We had the global financial crisis um, and we spent uh, a huge amount of money uh, in Europe and in the US. Um, we ran big deficits during that crisis. And after the crisis, it was time to basically repay the debt. And that's not what happened. So governments continued to run deficits. Mm-hmm. And now uh, in this pandemic, uh, the resources are limited in, in general uh, because of the massive debts that many countries have. The countries that were more frugal, that had uh, smaller deficits, that kept their debt uh, well below the size of their GDP, are able to do things that other countries can't. And a good example is Germany, where they said, okay, we're, we're in crisis and we're going to allocate 20% of our GDP. Uh, the U.S. can't do that. The U.K. can't do that. So, so I think that that's one thing um, that's, that's really important in terms of what you do. The mm-hmm. second thing, and this is important also, we're essentially doing two things. There's fiscal policy that supports loans to small uh, businesses and, and uh, unemployment and, um, and stimulus checks. Uh, there's also monetary policy where money is printed and um, that's turned into support for businesses. Mm-hmm. So on the fiscal front, you need to pay that back. And I worry a lot about this because people extrapolate naively from the global financial crisis. I said, well, um, we had big deficits in the global financial crisis and, uh, and no big deal. We just kept on running them and uh, the taxes went down. So why can't we just continue to do that? And on the monetary front, well, our central banks printed all this money and uh, people uh, said, well, that's going to be inflationary. 
and it wasn't inflationary. Mm -hmm. So therefore, let's just do the same thing again. And, and no, let's actually do more. So let's print even more money. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that you're extrapolating from one observation, the global financial crisis. And it was the case that our central banks were, um, took on a lot of, uh, you know, a lot on their balance sheet, and they had been unwinding that. Uh, since 2017. So this is a big jump. I worry that our policymakers, instead of making the tough decision to increase taxes to pay this back, we're borrowing from our future. You need to pay it back. Mm. It's especially important for the younger generation. But I worry that nobody wants to increase taxes, that they will turn to the other alternative, which is inflation. Inflation is a regressive policy. Inflation makes people pay, and those people are the ones that can least afford it. Mm. So you mentioned, obviously, printing more money, which is technically, uh, I guess, a form of quantitative easing. Um, do you think that that, obviously, they're, they're going to have to do that, but once that money is in the systems, um, do you think there is a, a need to pay it back? Um, or do you think that will basically support your U-curve as you mentioned before, rather than have this L-shaped curve? So this is um, a misperception that a lot of people have, that the idea that if you helicopter drop money uh, to everybody, that that would be inflationary. So if you think about uh, a simple world where everybody's got uh, a thousand uh, pounds and um, all of a sudden there's a helicopter drop and everybody gets another thousand, so everybody's got 2,000, that that should double prices. And, and that's false. Uh, and the reason is that it depends if people spend the extra money. So mm -hmm. if everybody takes that extra thousand and puts it under their mattress, there's no impact on prices whatsoever until those reserves start coming out of the system and that could cause inflation. So mm -hmm. I do believe that inflation is a risk and, and certainly people in the bond market uh, understand this and that's why uh, they prefer to keep their money in very short-term things like treasury bills or even physical cash. Right? Mm -hmm. Physical cash looking pretty good in Europe because its rate of return is zero whereas um, you're basically having a negative interest rate uh, in some countries. Yeah. So there are alternatives, but I, I do worry that there could be uh, mm. unexpected inflation. It's hard to see right now because right now we're in deflation. People say, well, how can you talk about inflation when we're in deflation? I'm talking about the future. Yeah. We need to pay this back somehow. Mm. So obviously a lot of... like. You know, we know a lot of companies are really struggling right now. Um, and although people are in furlough, uh, the potential might lose their jobs going forward. What do, do you think that this is a an opportunity for company owners um, of all sizes to really rethink their business strategy and how they ultimately earn money? Um, could it be a sort of a cornerstone in that respect? Yes, definitely. So anytime you have a crisis, it's really important to learn from it. So I think that there will be um, structural uh, changes in terms of uh, our economies in the future. So, for example, uh, we all um, have benefited to some degree from globalization. Of course, some people have benefited more than others, and that's an issue. 
But I think that uh, we now realize that certain critical things need to be produced locally. So we can't rely upon other countries to uh, deliver uh, PPE, respirators, critical medical equipment, drugs, stuff like that. There needs to be some national strategy whereby when this happens again, and let me emphasize that it will happen again. Mm -hmm. So pandemics are, uh, are many historically and it's naive to think that they're going to go away. So I think that there will be some national strategies that will kind of go against the, the flow of globalization. I also think that just within our industrial structure that um, sort of biomedical research will get a much higher uh, profile. So look, we can map the DNA of the COVID-19 in two weeks, mm. but why does it take 18 months to deliver a, a vaccine under usual circumstances? So we need to have technologies so that um, vaccines are ready to deploy uh, much closer to real time than we have today. So it's kind of, in my opinion, equivalent of what happened in the US uh, when the Soviets launched uh, Sputnik in the late 1950s, that there was a refocus. And, and this went all the way from industry all the way to education. And you will see a shift you will see other people realizing that, oh, well, there's a few industries that are pretty safe and important in the mm -hmm. future, like healthcare, and maybe I should think about switching my job mm -hmm. uh, to healthcare. So, so there will be changes like that in addition to the usual changes where um, we're living a, in a different world right now uh, in terms of online. And I think that uh, many firms have learned from this and have pivoted. And uh, that pivot will be uh, permanent and it will change uh, the way that many companies do business. Mm, absolutely. So in terms of really talk about supply chains and how uh, people basically execute their services or products and to make that a lot more streamlined. Um, and obviously that puts, say, employees um, at risk as well. But do you think that there, there will be a lot more, say, new businesses out of this um, and also a lot more people going freelance and that sort of thing? Uh, yes. So, so I think, again, we're going to learn uh, from this crisis. And, and obviously, the learning comes at a great cost. So uh, a cost of loss of life and um, other hardships. So it's not just the people that are dying. It's all of the, the mental stress uh, that negatively affects health and, and kind of relationships. So, so that needs to be uh, counted also. But I, I do think that in the big picture, uh, we will learn from this. People will, um, will basically have uh, a backup plan, a risk management plan. And that might be some freelance uh, activity. It might be that you've got the possibility of more than one job. It might be that you take an educational uh, program so that uh, if something happens to the industry that you're in, you're easily able to move into another industry. Mm -hmm. So a sort of hedging of human capital, uh, very important. So I do think that um, this will affect uh, perceptions. We unfortunately have to pay back this debt. So mm -hmm. that means, uh, to be clear here, 
um, likely increases in taxes, but not just the government debt, it's the personal debt. So people are basically extending their lines of credit, their credit cards, that has to be paid back too. So Mm. we're not going back exactly to where we were in February, 2020. Uh, It will be a process, uh, even though growth will, in my opinion, uh, begin Mm. in the fourth quarter of 2020, this year. And how long do you think, I mean, they're saying that obviously we're we're gradually coming out of lockdown now um, in this country. And I know obviously it's different stages around the world. But do you think as each country comes out of lockdown, um, that business will resume where they do things and we will start to sort of see things moving more normal again? So uh, it really depends upon the particular industry. So okay. my job, I'm isolated anyways in my office. So I've got walls around and there's no reason that I can't return uh, to my work. But other jobs, it's, it's much different. So if you run a restaurant or you work in a restaurant, that's going to be very challenging uh, to yeah. keep the distances. So your capacity uh, all of a sudden is haircut by 50%. And you need to run 80%, 90% capacity to make any money. So it'll be a while. So again, this is a transition. So some businesses will reawaken. Uh, some businesses will have partial utilization until the biological solution, which would be a vaccine. So uh, it's also important not just to discover the vaccine, but to deploy it and to deploy it quickly. I admire what the UK is doing, where they're willing to produce a candidate vaccine, knowing that it might not turn out and you might need to dispose of it. That's the sort of forward thinking that we need from our policymakers. Okay, well, it's been really interesting speaking with you, Campbell. Um, if, is there anything else you'd like to add or any advice um, from your research that you do um, of the current situation that you think will benefit our listeners? Yeah, so uh, just let me close with uh, just a few remarks. Uh, It's often the case that uh, in the media, when you listen to it or read it or watch it, that uh, the message is dramatic and uh, often negative. Pandemics, uh, we've seen them before and we're able to model them and we know basically uh, how they play out. And I believe that uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There's widespread incentives to develop either a pharmacological solution that reduces uh, fatality or to actually uh, find the cure, a vaccine, a number and trial already. So we see the end of this. So I think the psychology of this is much different. We will snap back. Uh, There is uh, an end uh, to this crisis that's very credible. Uh, Thank you very much. Um, It's been great. So just one final thing. Where can we find you uh, going forward if you want to catch up with what you're doing. Sure. So the best place to uh, locate me is on LinkedIn, uh, Campbell Harvey, and um, and short firm Cam Harvey. And uh, what I do is I try to post almost every day. And I also produce uh, mini podcasts. So people send me questions. And then I have a short podcast to answer their questions. 
and uh, your listeners are more than welcome to send me questions. Okay, that's brilliant. And that was Campbell Harvey, who's Professor of Duke University and Canadian Economist. So now moving on to the second part of the show, um, which is more from an emotional perspective, I would say. Um, we welcome Marwinda Jill, who is an award-winning hypnotherapist with practice on the notable Harley Street in London and has an impressive client list ranging from royalty, celebrities and to CEOs. Um, so Marwinda, it's lovely to be here with you. Um, so for Alice's, or give us a brief background on what inspired you to become a hypnotherapist and what you actually do today. Yeah, so, um, well, I'll start off with what I do today. I'm a hypnotherapist, holistic therapist, life coach, and I specialize in um, relationship problems and in particular relationship breakup problems and uh, the associated trauma that comes from that. Also, I uh, work uh, with a lot of clients suffering from anxiety. So they're my two sort of main areas um, and I've been doing this work for coaching um, holistic therapy for almost about 10 years now, or just over, I'm losing track of time. <laughs> um, so I started out when I was employed in a corporate role um, where I was managing an international team and there was a lot of conflict between international and the US. And I remember uh, while I was out in Argentina saying to my boss at the time, I can't take the conflict, I have to quit. And my um, lovely boss at the time said, don't quit, go and do a coaching course, learn how to manage conflict. And so I learned all about coaching way back in 2007 in Argentina. Um, and that's where the journey sort of started. I started that and I absolutely loved it. So just quickly, what is the difference between hypnotherapy and counselling? So with counselling... We're looking at a, a safe place where you speak to a trained uh, therapist. Uh, you talk about your problems and the issues that you're experiencing. And um, the counsellor will actively listen and offer advice. And you, it's just somebody there to help you work through your emotional issues. Um, so if you're going through a particularly difficult period of transitioning your life, um, counselling is very useful. You tend to have counselling on a weekly basis or fortnightly basis, and it's just a really good place to talk things out and to get some input, um, some advice. Uh, with hypnotherapy, it is different because, um, you, you know, you're not seeing a hypnotherapist, generally speaking, for months and months on end, and sometimes not even on a weekly basis. It's very short, um, short-term therapy, but also uh, it's the hypnotherapist that does the talking. <laughs> Um, and we're working directly with um, subconscious behaviours, subconscious feelings, thoughts, that kind of thing. Um, but of course, that requires some level of active listening and uh, talking at, at the start to make sure that the right things are dealt with appropriately. Mm. So right now, change is obviously quite a big word for everyone. Yeah. Um, and as human beings, we don't generally tend to like embracing change. Can you share with us why that might be and also how you work with clients to sort of overcome and get them through the changes that lie ahead? So we all know how difficult it is to change ourselves. How many times have you tried to stop yourself from doing something like, oh, I'm not going to 
eat that biscuit, I'm not going to drink that next glass of wine. And it's just so hard. Um, but these are little things, little things from a daily basis. But then, of course, we're all going through a massive change right now in lockdown. And some people outside of lockdown are going through life changes anyway, you know, throughout lockdown and before. So um, perhaps going through a divorce or, you know, just started a new job or just moved house. These are already very big things. And then to have lockdown on top is incredibly stressful. But in answer to your question, why do we struggle with change? It's quite simply, for a lot of people, the fear, fear of the unknown, mm. not sure what's going to happen. So uh, rather than address that and acknowledge that, I'll just stay in my comfort zone where I am, where I know where everything is, what's going on, and I can just be a little bit more safe. So that's one thing, fear will stop people from changing. The other thing is, um, not having a well-defined outcome, not knowing where that change is going to lead, quite simply. So if you don't know what the outcome, what's on the other side of the change, then there's no real motivation um, to actually uh, step ahead and, and make yeah. that change. And then, of course, we're looking at things like, uh, is the change that you're thinking about is are you stepping towards something that you want or are you stepping away from something that you don't want? So, of course, if you're stepping towards something that you do want, it's easier to introduce that change. But if the change that you're grappling with means cutting out lots of different things, um, then it's going to be harder. So they are the three main areas, I would say, um, that will prevent change uh, in people right down from little daily habits to some of the big things. Mm. So talking about the fear of unknown, um, which obviously is a huge emotion, um, how can we deal with that fear or, or crack that side of it in order to deal with the change? So the first thing I recommend is stop ignoring it. So when, you know, don't procrastinate on it. Don't just leave that to, you know, don't be passive about it. Actually explore so what you want to do in, in this kind of scenario, and I have a whole list of different questions you can ask on my blog post, but you want to ask ex exploratory questions. So if you want to move forward and you're stuck and, and you're scared, you want to ask the what questions, not the why. So what is this stuckness teaching me? Uh, what do I need to know? Um, what support do I need? What, or what can I do to find out what the goal should be? What can I do to mitigate the, re uh, to, to mitigate the risk? But if you're going to ask the why questions, like why is this happening to me? Why did I end up here? That will take you back into the past and you won't be able to move forward. Mm. So uh, raising your level of awareness and asking the right questions of yourself can really shed some light and some, get you some valuable insight um, in order to get things moving. Mm. And how would you say that, you know, different people deal with different situations? Um, why is that? And what advice would you give to people feeling that anxiety right now? So, yeah, absolutely. People do deal with uh, different things and uh, deal with things in different ways. And it really is down to, if we're talking about in particular, anxiety and change, it's um, what is your anxiety profile? Some people 
will um, get super, super anxious and that anxiety might spur them on to change. But other people might just completely freeze and just stay a little bit paralyzed. Other people would just want to run away and escape from it. So, you know, a simple thing you can do is sort of um, go back through your personal history and think about, like, try and identify a pattern. You know, it might be when I'm in this situation with my partner or with my exes, I always do this. Mm. You know, just to try and identify a pattern. But that requires a lot of, like, holding up your hand and saying, yes, I could have done that better there. But, you know, that's just a really, you know, try and go on um, a patting pattern stop um, spotting adventure to try and elicit where uh, how you're doing things and that will already give you the insight and the awareness of okay this is how I've traditionally done things what can I do differently that's the key question but you can't answer that question until you um, raise your level of awareness to find out what your pattern is and this is where things like counseling talking to um, a qualified hypnotherapist or, or any therapist can really help because sometimes we don't see our own patterns, but, um, you know, other people will do. Yeah. And do you think anxiety uh, is linked to fear, being fearful as well? Absolutely. So the thing with uh, fear and anxiety, it's on, it's on the scale here. So you might start off with... Um, nervousness. Nervousness can progress into, you know, uh, anxiety. Lots of anxiety turns into high anxiety and then uh, fear and then panic. And then it just goes on and on until, you know, panic attacks arise and things like that. So it's on a scale and a spectrum here. So we all dip in and out of it. Um, Sometimes we all feel nervous. Sometimes we all feel anxious. It, it will become a problem when it affects your daily life. Right? Yeah. So we'll all have bad days. But if you're finding day in, day out, your anxiety level is high and that's been going on for two weeks solid, then you want to start uh, seeking help for that. So okay. don't stay in that. Mm. And for those that are uh, suffering um with anxiety and that those feelings, what home remedies could you can you offer to combat that right now? So at the moment, if if it is specific to coronavirus, um, I do have online an absolutely um, full, quite comprehensive managed coronavirus anxiety online program. It's free. I spent two days producing it, and I go through all the different things that you can do within half an hour to take your anxiety and panic levels um, and reduce them. Um, so, And that includes things like um, meditation, some, some hypnosis as well, emotional freedom technique, which is known to really help with anxiety and, of course, some positive affirmations towards the end. So things like that, um, and there's lots of resources out there on YouTube as well, and on Instagram, where you can uh, where you can watch and follow somebody else do a meditation. But outside of things like that, um, really engaging in mindfulness techniques. So if you're out in, in your garden or on the balcony, 
you can do a simple thing or even in your bedroom, simple thing. I'd like you to um, observe and notice five things you can see. So five things in the room that you can see. Mm-hmm. And then and then you go down to four sounds that you can hear. And then you move down to three things you can feel. And that might be the chair that you're sitting on, um, the cushion supporting your back, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then you move into two things that you're feeling, right? And you, so you're, I'm asking you to name your feelings. And then one thing you can smell. Mm. So just doing a simple exercise, maybe you followed me as I was, as I was talking out loud. A simple exercise like that is a very um, neat and tidy mindfulness exercise. Mm. And that will bring you back into your body, back into the present moment. And when you're in the present moment, it's very difficult to be anxious of the future or be sad about the past. Mm. So it's in the present moment yeah. is what we're doing there. And one of my favourite words is compartmentalisation. And yeah. I have to be honest, that's pretty much how I deal with life. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that sort of meditation and trying to do things to be in the moment is a good way to sort of influence compartmentalising, almost switching off from certain things and being able to manage things better? Yeah, absolutely. Well, compartmentalisation is the antidote to... Um, overwhelm. Mm-hmm. So if if you're feeling overwhelmed for whatever reason, you need to start compartmentalizing. Um, and once you get good at that and you start doing that, it's going to be extremely easy or be easier, you'll find, to um, spend your resources, as, and I mean time and energy, into different things. You'll have a fuller experience of your meditation, potentially, of that walk um, in in the park or whatever it is that you're doing to switch off, and you can be fully present. Your quality of presence will be so much higher, and then you'll be able to get more out of it. And you know that might be um, work stuff, house chores, family time, partner time, um, you know, relaxation time. So compartmentalization is absolutely excellent to counter. Mm. Um, overwhelm and the high stress days. Okay, well, that's good to know. Okay, <laughs> and what is your blog? Um, it's quite simply uh, just my name. So if you type in my name in Google, it will come up, Balminda Gill. So okay. I have this and lots, so many different exercises like this that you can just employ um, just when, you know, different things work for different people. Mm. So obviously, we've all been at home for a considerable amount of time now, and yeah. a lot of more people have idle time, especially I guess if you're furloughed, you've, you know, you've got a lot more spare time than mm. what you, you could have had beforehand. Um, and I think that naturally that sort of leads us to picking up different habits that we wouldn't normally do. Um, perhaps that might be drinking at home, perhaps that might be running to the fridge more often, um, all various mm. things. And what would you say, well, firstly, why do we do that? would be my first question. Um, and then my next question is how we can sort of be more aware of that and what we can do to, to kick off those unwanted habits. Yeah, so the reason why we're creating these new, new habits at home is because we've just let go of old habits, the old habit of leaving the house, going to work, getting the coffee on the way, going on the tube. We were living a very habitual life before lockdown and anybody that's trying to change habits now or, or ever, even outside of lockdown, 
the quickest way to change a habit is to uh, replace it with something else. Now, we've all been forced to replace uh, outside habits with indoor habits. So that's why we're all doing it. So if you're walking up to the fridge a little bit more than usual or you're drinking more, it's just a replacement activity. So, you know, we're creatures of habits. And so it doesn't take long for us to stay indoors or in a new environment. And uh, we start creating patterns of behavior. It just happens so that's a very natural occurrence. Mm-hmm. And how can we, um, for those, say, you know, you get in the routine of having a glass of wine a couple of times a week and, and then eventually that turns into every day or, you know, you might have a chocolate bar every now and then and next thing you know you'll turn into almost like binge eating, yeah. which is not unheard of at all. Um, mm-hmm. How can we kick those habits so first of all, you've got to, like, don't be too hard on yourself. The chances are when lockdown lifts, those habits will fall away. You'll probably go back to how you were before lockdown. So I know there's a lot going around of, you know, how can you, you know, w- will things ever go back? There are certain things that everybody used to do before lockdown that they will continue doing after So this is almost like a little hiatus that we're going through at the moment. So, you know, maybe after lockdown, there won't be so much time to come home and do all of these things. Mm -hmm. And if you know that, you're probably making the most of it. Um, But the chances are you will also adjust just the way, just the way that we all adjusted um, for lockdown. You know, Mm -hmm. the first week, the first couple of weeks, everyone was in panic mode, was very anxious. And then we all adjusted. Mm. So you will readjust afterwards. The only way that your current habits at home of drinking too much, eating too much, or whatever you're doing too much of, the only way that's going to be sustained for a longer period of time is if all of the other parameters remain unchanged. If you're going to stay in lockdown for the next six months, even though everybody's getting out of lockdown, then you probably will stay in those habits. But the chances are you won't. And what about those that say we're doing these things beforehand and now they're just heightened? Maybe they're getting to the point where they really just wish they could kick that habit regardless. Yeah, yeah. so that's the point where I'd say uh, is, you know, to seek professional help really because like, like I said at the start, there are people who are going through so many other challenges in life outside of lockdown. Um, so they're dealing with so much more. So if you did have... Um, issues with food, eating too much or not eating enough or doing too much exercise, not doing enough, drinking too much or recreational drugs or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. um, those, of course, uh, have all of the time in the world to come out in their fullness right now in lockdown, especially if you're living by yourself because a lot of people who were drinking too much or eating too much, some of them did that behind closed doors and I know that firsthand from clients because there was a whole shame and a guilt thing outside Mm -hmm. so you know um and now nobody's here to judge you and so then you get caught up by yourself doing that because nobody knows and so there is help you know out there for Mm -hmm. this because you know you so you know just seek professional help is my advice I don't think there's going to be you know, three tips that I could share right now that are going to help that. Mm. Not even becoming sort of like more aware of it or I guess 
Perhaps. It depends. If the problem's clinical, and, you know, I'm an advocate of this, if the problem is clinical and it's reaching, you know, to, to something that does require professional help, you know, uh, a few tips here and there just aren't going to help. Because if they did, you wouldn't be in that situation, whoever that person is. You know, obviously talking yourself out of it hasn't helped. Mm. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in that situation. But for people who aren't, a, a, let's say, in the clinical bracket, who are just overindulging and things like that, yes, there are certain things you can do in particular, and that would be raising your self-awareness. And so when it comes to the point of thinking, oh, I'm going to have another Snickers bar or let me get another ice cream or another glass of wine, um, one thing that I recommend, and I say this to clients as well, is just put a stop on that for 20 minutes. And if in 20 minutes' time you still have the urge or the desire to indulge, then do it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But the chances are you might find that you're going for that second slice of cake or whatever 50% less of the time. Because in 20 minutes, what happens in your mind is that the, that urge spike just freezes. Mm. You have time to think. Your awareness is raised Right, rather than um, having that impulsive desire of just running to the fridge, so we're slowing that down mm, and acting on it. So, I just want to um, sort of finish this on one topic. Obviously, you um, work a lot with relationships, and I think that's also a very big thing right now, especially the fact that we're at home a lot more with, say, partners, family, um, more than we probably ever have been. Um, what advice would you give to for, for all of us being out of? cope with that situation as well so relationships I mean it's such a big topic especially now in lockdown I mean there was a rise in um, divorce rates uh, in China once the lockdown lifted um, because you know people are just like oh my god I'm seeing the full the full spectrum of my partner now even though we've been together for x number of years um, and it's just coming down to people. We all need space. We all need space to do our own thing. And we don't have those regular outlets, you know, the gym, talking to your friend face to face, right? <laughs> Going out and, you know, even I, I know we all hated that commute to work. But, you know, you can see now the value in it. <laughs> you managed to get out. Yeah, there was some respite in that little 20-minute or one-hour journey, whatever that was. So you're not having all of that. So my advice here is just to be a little bit more patient. As much as you want your partner or your family members to um, have a wider berth of patience with you, offer that up to Right, because soon enough, this will the lockdown will be lifted, perhaps in stages. But you know, you'll have some of your other life back, and then you'll realise, you know, as much as you're putting up with them, they're putting up with you too. As well. Works both ways. <laughs> it does. So, just summarise. I mean, is there anything um, we've covered a few topics here? Yeah. Um, what advice can you sort of give to? Um, or any sort of added tips on what we've covered to our listeners? Yeah, so be gentle, be kind to yourself, really, because it's going to be very hard to be gentle and kind and compassionate to your family members if you can't do it for yourself. Have 
clear boundaries and stick to them. So if you find that you're overdoing something, you know, stop yourself, right? And just think, no, this is a chance for me to exercise and take action on a boundary. And just through the repetition of that, you will create a new habit, whether that is telling your partner or your kids no, uh, right down to telling yourself no to whatever it is in the fridge that you're after. And if you do feel anxious because of the uncertainty in the future or your job or whatnot, do check out my Managed Coronavirus Anxiety Program. I created it specifically. Um, and so, you know, make, make use of it. And you can do it as many times as you want. And within half an hour, your anxiety and stress levels should be remarkably a lot lower than before. So they're my final tips. Yeah, I have been on your website and it is uh, very thorough, that's for sure. It's been a, a real pleasure sort of having you here. Um, when you come out of lockdown, what's your, have you got any sort of projects that you're working on or any sort of new researches? Yes, absolutely. So the first one, which just was kicking off as lockdown initiated, um, was the world's first immersive hypnotherapy experience in East London, virtual reality, a virtual reality hypnotic experience. So you go into a pod, you put all the VR kit on and you have a virtual reality hypnotherapy experience. So that is is still there, obviously, but it's closed. But that's something very new um, that hopefully people will be able to experience. The other thing I've been doing is with Dr. David Jack is... um, the UK's first mindful facial. And that's where I'm uh, delivering a live hypnotherapy session. And uh, there's a a facialist um, giving a a facial at the same time. And we work in unison so that you get the uh, relaxation and the suggestion work from me and what I've prepared. And you get a full facial um, That's amazing. It is. I mean, it's unfortunate that me and the facialist haven't been able to experience it ourselves, but the feedback we've had has been brilliant. So they're new, two new things that will come bouncing back, hopefully, after after lockdown. And that's really good. Okay, so it's been um, lovely um, hosting you this afternoon and this evening. Um, and I just sort of want to round off the show by thanking everyone that's listened in. Um, we're Modern Woman and basically we're a brand to educate, motivate and support women in business and the workplace. Um, for further information on what we do and how we can help you, you can go to our website, which is www.modernwoman. Dot co that's just dot co on the end not dot com not co dot uk if you've got any other questions or if you want to get in touch with um modern women our podcast or um any contributions then you can email me directly and it's rosie r-o-s-i-e at modernwoman.co and that's great thank you very much mm-hmm.